In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Children should feel safe and confident in our presence, but how does a man go about impacting the lives of little children in a world that is so skeptical of men? Find out today. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. We salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your guide and host, leading you to your best version in the stress bubble of life and beyond. Welcome to Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. You know, remember, a hero story is a story of life transformation, and we're gathering 365 hero stories this year. This is hero story number 118. It comes from Aaron on Apple Podcasts after giving us a five-star review, and we welcome you guys to give us a five-star review as well. He writes, Men in the Arena is a gateway to being a biblical man and father. I was an alcoholic and addicted, but almost five years ago, I got clean. I thought that was enough, but through your podcast, I've learned how to be on fire for God and my family. That's, that's the hero story right there. I've gone down many rabbit trails with your many, many guests that have helped me to understand what it means to be a godly man. I'm consumed by your content. Hey, Aaron, thanks a lot for that shout out. And uh, we want to say thanks by giving you some swag. So hit us up with your physical address at e info at menarena.org. Guys, stay tuned to the end of this show. We're going to unpack another one of our man laws found in my free book, Man Laws, 101 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. Hey guys, did you know that November we have opened up our signups for you to register for one of our virtual teams? If you go to meninarena.org and click the Join Our Program Now button, for a limited time in the month of November, you can get on to one of our many virtual teams. Find the one in your time zone. Find the one that fits the day of the week and your time schedule. And man, grow into your best version. Sign up now before we shut them down at the end of the month. Hey guys, I'm excited to have our guest on the show. He is unique to this show in over 650 episodes. He's the first guy that I actually went to high school with, and he can tell you how great I was in basketball. A great hack. Anyway, so let me introduce my friend Kirk Milhone. Kirk's been married to his beautiful wife, Kimberly, for 26 years. Kirk's a PhD in cardiovascular 
physiology, and an MD. He is board-certified pediatrician and pediatric cardiologist. Kirk became a Christian at his high school, which is Morro Bay High School. It's where I went to high school through campus life. So we'll get into that later. He's a sen- He's now the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel, South Maui, and is a founder, along with his wife, Kimberly, of... <laughs> he's the founder... Along- Hold on, let me rephrase that. Along with his wife, Kimberly, he is the founder and medical director of Hearts and Souls, which you will learn about later on today. Kirk, it's great to have you on the show, man. Great to be here, Jim. Thank you. Just a lot of nostalgia when I see your face, and and uh, we have the same spiritual father. Amen. Yeah. An amazing man. Well, you know, it's really interesting because last weekend, my wife and I flew out to Denver, Colorado, and Gary McCusker is who we're talking about. Well, it's the church he goes to, and they support our ministry. And, you know, it was called the Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church Missionary Conference, but you could have called it the Gary McCusker Legacy Conference because missionary after missionary got up there and either Gary was their youth pastor or Gary led them to Christ. I was like, is this, did you set this up? He goes, no, I'm not even in charge of this at all. So it's pretty cool. So tell me, I want to hear your story, Kurt, because you were two years older than me in high school. My only real knowledge of you, because I was a, you know, sophomore and you were a senior was I got pulled up to varsity to play basketball. You were one of the starting basketball guys. So we played a half a season together, but really didn't interact socially. So I don't really know you. I know your little brother more. He was a year behind me. So why don't you tell us your story, uh, high school yeah. story, how you came to Christ. I'm really, I'm really intrigued. Yeah. So it was that interesting thing in my life. All of a sudden I was, uh, I, I appreciated that there was something wrong in me. Uh, I was about 15. Uh, I started, you know, I had to be very honest with you and the, because I think that's what helps people is <clears throat> I was playing with God in terms of if I pray to you, um, will you help me score more in JV basketball? Um, I, I was trying all these sort of um, spiritual experience uh, experiments. Um, I remember one time I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I masturbated today and then I'm going to be punished in basketball. You know, so all these different things were going through my mind is, boy, if I could just stop masturbating, maybe I'll score double figures today. You know, all those things were going inside the teenage boy's mind. But I was acutely aware that I was a sinner. But I didn't know where it was coming from. And I thought I was actually under satanic attack. Um, and uh, so I, I I didn't know where to go. You know, I my grandmother would give me this beautiful Bible. Um, and I started reading it. Sure. I, I started reading in Genesis. And, you know, you get through about 10 chapters. Pretty interesting. And then it's done. So I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know to go to the New Testament or anything like that. Um <clears throat> And so um, I was just in this state of, and I felt like God was convicting me of things. My mom would tell me to do something. I'd walk out the house. I'd get two blocks down the street. And then I was undone by, I have to get back and obey my mom. But it was driving me crazy because I didn't know where it was coming from. And so I saw these people in campus wearing these blue and white jerseys that said campus life on them. Um and I thought, campus life, what is this? They're teaching you how to be a student? Uh, you know, I didn't know what it is. Yeah. But there were some attractive girls that wore these jerseys. Well, it was the powder and, puff jerseys. And I was not attractive 
at all. So <laughs> I, I was purely, but I didn't understand how unattractive I was. And so I thought I had opportunities to date these girls. And so I, I got invited to one of these meetings and I went to the meeting and, you know, it was kind of fun singing. They sang some songs. You know, I was an American. So of course I was a Christian. Absolutely. Right? For sure. Right? Just by birthright. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, and then Gary presents the gospel and I go, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's what's going on in my heart. I'm being convicted of sin. And Gary has an answer where I can have these sins forgiven through Jesus. So I, I go up to Afram. I said, can I meet with you? And he says, sure. He takes me to Sudsburger, you know, which is no longer there, but Sudsburger. And I remember he sits down with me and he says, so tell me, are you a Christian? And I said, well, yeah, but not a very good one. Um, and he said, well, what's going on in your life? And I said, I think I'm under the devil is attacking me because I can't, I don't have any peace with my life. And so we go on and on and on and on. And, and, um, and so eventually he goes, well, would you like to become a Christian? Would you like to have your sins forgiven? And I said, yeah. And so we prayed right there. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but then I, as I, as I left that day, I thought, wow, I just heard a really good dirty joke. Um, but I'm not going to be able to tell that one anymore. So it was very interesting. I had a very works, um, you know, if I do bad, I get punished, you know? So, um, but, but my family was very anti-church and I didn't have any bravery to stand up to them. And so rather than going to a church, because Gary offered, I can take you to church with me. And I was just like, eh, no, I don't think so. So, you know, and Gary was dirt poor, dirt poor. Oh, yeah. He lived and, on Fifth Street across from the Kablitzkis. Yeah, right. <laughs> just dirt poor. <laughs> you know, he was, and, um, but he would take me out to breakfast at Cohobo Joe's in Morro mm. Bay. Yep. Mm -hmm. One morning a week. And he took me through the basics of Christianity. Um, and sometimes, and I usually just got a coffee, but there was sometimes he didn't have enough money to buy 50 cent coffee for he and I. And he goes, well, I've got to use a credit card today so you can have a breakfast, you know? Um, but it was 6 a.m. He would pick me up. We'd meet for an hour. Then he'd take me back to my house so I could get ready for school. After about a year, I had, I had enough faith now uh had enough courage to say i'm going to go to go to church um uh but you know my um my dad um was he had stopped being really a father when i was in seventh grade and so i i was sort of really on my own um and and gary became very much a spiritual father to me um and and as I look back, you know, my dad was encouraging me to be promiscuous on prom night. And I had Gary on the other side, really telling me the truth of the scriptures and the truth of what really makes a, a life at peace with God. Um, and so, yeah, that I had a chance to be at his church when he was ordained and I surprised him. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And um and when he walks up to be um, to be ordained, we catch eyes and we both start crying. Um, but the, the senior pastor said something about him 
that you 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 can say about few people. And he's and he said the thing about Jesus Christ, or thing about Gary McCusker is if you follow him, you'll find Jesus Christ. You can follow Gary McCusker's life and you will find Jesus Christ. And and I love that man. I revere that man because he took me straight to Jesus Christ. He continues to take me straight to Jesus Christ. I consider him and my my wife thanks him because how I learned to be a Christian man was watching him and Debbie and how he treated Debbie and how Debbie treated him and how they went. I hung out with them so long. I got to see all the the good and the bad and the ugly of a Christian marriage. You know, I, I, I spent enough that much time with them. But boy, I learned I learned how to be a husband by being in the presence of Gary McCusker because of the Holy Spirit within his life that was showing him how to be a, a husband. Wow. So where did you end up going to church? Curious. So <clears throat> I tried a whole lot of he took me up, I think I forgot what it was called. It was a big non-denominational church in San Luis Obispo one oh, time. And Grace, that was probably that Grace was Church. Nice. Yeah, um, that was nice, but it really wasn't for me. So I then I did the circuit of Morro Bay churches that were close to my home. Yeah. But every church I went into, it was like I had suddenly become the youth group. Um, yeah. Because I was the only youth in the church. And so I eventually ended up at um, Gary. Uh, Gary Lewis was going. He was the only other Christian I knew when I became a Christian because Gary McCusker told me, hey, Gary Lewis is a Christian. Um and he was a year ahead of me. And he said, he's going to El Moro Nazarene Church in Los Osos. So I went there one day. And it was a standard, standard church. You know, you have, it's an hour. You have two hymns. You have special music. You have the offering. You have a 20-minute sermon. And then, so, but um, Ron Fay was going through the book of Matthew expositionally, verse by verse. And I got there like when he was in Matthew 2. Uh, and at the end of his sermon, he finished his sermon with, he is risen. And then the whole congregation said, he is risen indeed. And he does that every time he preaches. But when he said that, there was something about declaring the risen Christ that resonated with my soul in a way that I didn't even understand then. But I understand now Um and so he's the other one who came in. So I sat underneath his teaching, um, going expositionally through the book of Matthew. Um, and I sat under the lifestyle teaching of Gary McCusker. And that's what led me down to Point Loma Nazarene College is going to a Nazarene college or a Nazarene church. So it's really funny because you probably know nothing about me, but I actually was, co I went back after I, so I, Gary led me to the Lord. I, he, he recruited me to a group to help us win football games. And so I got all of my pagan buddies and it was Gary at Dorn's pre making us buy our own breakfast and preaching at us. We hated him for it. <laughs> he was my freshman basketball coach, by the way, when you were probably a junior. And he, with, yeah, with Glenn. With Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Wolf. Glenn was helping, with, right? Yep, Glenn Wolf. And then he led me to the Lord in Clemenza's there in Los Osos the day before he went to Germany for nine years. But we did that daily meeting all through my senior year, but it was different. I was not a Christian. I was trying to avoid him the whole time. But he finally wore me out. But I ended up going back to Morro Bay High School. I took over the Campus Life Club that Gary ran. It led me to the Lord. 
did that for five years, became the area director for the county. That's where I met my wife. And then, I, but we couldn't make it. We couldn't make it financially. So I was coaching a kid in high school named Tim. His dad was a local pastor, and I ended up getting hired at the Church of the Nazarene under Ron Fay. So, and I worked there for ne- the next ten years. So it's kind of funny how that. And I got ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. So it's really interesting to see how the paths kind of converge. This year we had a banquet. It was, uh, and we had Debbie and Gary and Debbie came to our banquet from Colorado. And we honored them with the legacy. We called it the man of man of a generation. Uh, my kids gave them an ovation because, really, if you think about it, I would not be married to the woman I'm married to. I would not have the kids I have. I would not have the life I have. It really all comes back to one guy, and he said this about you as well to me. He said, "I don't know. God just would lead me to these guys. I had no idea, but He would lead me to these guys, and look at where we are now." So it's kind of fun to to realize that we have the same spiritual father, right? And so the cool thing now is when I became a Christian, I got kicked out of my house by my dad, who was a teacher, who you know. Well, my dad, the last four months, has been going to church every Sunday, and guess where he's going to church? Wow. Church of the Nazarene. (laughs) So it's just kind of fun to see how God does all this stuff. Uh, It's just great to see those stories. And I'm going to make sure Gary listens to this podcast because... So what do you think? So let me ask you this question, Kirk. What do you think it is about a man? And Gary's just a normal dude. I mean, he's he's you know he's a normal dude, but what what is it about a guy like him that has had such a tremendous impact on so many lives that are continuing to bear fruit over the last fifty years? I mean, what 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 would you say to the guys listening if you were to tell these guys, hey, here is what I have seen from Gary McCusker about how to pass on a legacy? Um, be real. Um, he confessed his sins before us in mixed company that I couldn't believe he was confessing. Wow. I was like, Ron Faye did the same thing. Yep, he, he told did. me about something he did. I was like, Ron, you can ask Jesus for forgiveness, but dude, you're going to take that public? And he said, the truth will set you free. Both of Both of those men, neither one of those men is a perfect man, but they have authentic faith. They really love Jesus. Um and they really fall back into repentance when they fall away. Um, and I think that that's what I loved about it. Wasn't slick. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't faith, fake teeth, fake smiles, cool clothes. It, it was. They really loved Jesus, and because of that, they loved people. And and that's Gary McCusker loves people. He loves them. Those who are never going to be saved, those who are pre-saved, those who are saved, those who have been saved for, he loves people. Um, and he really loves teens. Um, more, He never, you know, he's the kind of guy that was never looking uh, to, to step up a spiritual ladder. He wanted to be a, a youth pastor his whole life. You know, that's, he still does. What does he want to do? He wants to talk to youth. So... So I think it's the, you know, this term is used so much because we live in such a fake world. Um, but that authentic faith um, that shows its warts, that because, you know, it, it's like, why do we revere Peter as one of the apostles? Because he messed up so much. If there was an apostle who's going to screw up, it was always Peter. It always comes back to Peter. Um and and still he, Jesus meets him at the fire and goes love my sheep Peter you're you know um and and I think that's what 
that's what Gary all was was able to do is he he loved God's sheep. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I feel like they've created a job for him where he's at now. He's still second chair. And he told me his position. I was like, you know, that sounds like they created that for you. You know, it's like he just you're the care pastor. Oh, really? So just show up and be Gary, right? And so that's what he does. And it's really interesting. He serves on my board of directors. He's my vice president. And uh, he really is the glue that holds our board together. These guys show up and he just instantly pulls them in. And uh, that's the, you know, and that authentic faith, I think, is the key thing for me is like, we need to be real. We need to confess our sins. None of us have a perfect heritage or perfect teeth or perfect life or perfect marriage or perfect kids. And I think that authenticity, we live in a generation where people see through that now. They see through it. And so the sooner, in fact, I've got my producers in here with me right now. He asked me, is there a lot of pressure for you in this ministry? I said, well, only when I'm being fake. When I'm authentic, it's easy, right? Because I can just be who I am. But when I'm fake, it's really hard because I've got to cover those veneers and those get kind of confusing, right? So now that's yeah. so good, man. So, well, you know, I got it. So I recently posted a video, Kirk, and I, I talked about D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody came home from revival one night and his wife said, how'd it go? And he said, it went good. I led two and a half people to Jesus. Have you heard this story? No, I haven't. And she said, oh, two and a half, two adults and a child. And he said, no, two children and an adult. The adult had lived half his life. So I've, I led two full lives and one half life to the Lord. And I posted a video out there about loving children, stopping in the presence of children, which was inspired by a guy named Wes Stafford, who was the president of Compassion International for two decades. And man, we got hammered for this video. You're, you know, are you grooming? Are you a pedophile? So we live in a real skeptical world. But, you know, Jesus was pretty clear to me about loving the little children. And I know that you've got a heart for the little children. What do you, what do you, what would you say to these guys that are living in the skeptical world that says, don't, don't appear to be weird? Stranger danger. Yeah, I. <clears throat> it's interesting that I, uh, um, I've always been um, uh, fascinated with children. Um, uh, one of them is because they're very honest. Uh, you know, you can probably a history of my life is wanting to be around people who are authentic. Um, when I, I love, uh, so. Um, my my son, who we adopted from birth, Drew, um, uh, my first wife left me um, when he was about three and a half. Uh, and uh, the, he, there, we have a picture at his third birthday. And he had a real smile on his face. And then we have a picture at his fourth birthday, and it's a fake smile. Th there's a time where children... Um, they're so honest with you. I, I love to ask the three and four and five-year-old kids questions. Oh, yeah. Because they tell you things and they will rat out their parents. So they fast. Will, they, they don't know how to lie, right? You, you know, to a certain extent. They know yeah. how to lie about a lot of things. Yeah. By taking, eating cookies and things like that. They can lie like anybody. Yeah, about those. yeah, yeah. But, but often they don't know the cultural lies that we're all sort of used to. The being polite lies. They'll just tell you like it is. I remember one time Drew was in a hot tub with me and this big overweight guy got in and he looked at the guy and he goes, why do you have boobs? Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And the guy said, because I'm fat. <laughs> it got real very quick. <laughs> but, you know, I um, th there's a great quote by um, um, Charles Dickens. 
And he says, I love these little ones. And it is no small thing to buy, to be loved by those who are so fresh from God. And that interaction with the innocent um, um, in, in a society that um, often, you know, in Jesus' society, they pushed them away. Oh, the kids away. absolutely. More so. Yeah. You're not important. Get away from here. Right. Um but I felt that as a pediatrician, what I felt is, is our, I believe we're in Romans one right now. So I believe in our culture, we are in Romans one where God has said, okay, you want to reject me? You want to be sexually perverse? Then I've let you go. Because of that, the sexuality is unhinged in our society. Um, it is encouraged even in churches. It yeah. is oh, celebrated yeah. in churches. There are pride flags about perverse sexuality. Um, and so now if you love children, you get easily caught up into that idea that, well, why do you love children? Exactly. Why do you love children? So what has happened? It is now nobody is trusted. Exactly. Satan has come in and made it. So everybody is deceived. Nobody can be trusted. Um, and I know when, when people watch me, it's sort of like, you're a, you're an old white male with gray hair. Why do you love children? This can't be pure. You're a predator, right? And and that's because now everyone's looking the the purity of what used to be there is gone. And so now everyone is suspect. And it is a um it just breaks your heart um over over what's going on in our society. Um, and what it's doing to children. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. What is well, they're the ones suffering, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they're being ignored. It's, it's, I keep, I keep, I had one of my, uh, my executive assistant bought a bunch of toys and ca- candy and different things. It's in my office right here. So when a little kid comes by and this is a church, I'll, or they're usually they come by with their parents, right? I'm like, Hey, come pick out of the toy. Uh, had another situation where some friends drove by my house. One of my youth group girls who's got kids now stay here. Let me go to my house, ran out, brought a bunch of candy bars. So now whenever they're out driving, let's go by Mr. Jim's house. He gives us candy bars. I mean, it's it's not hard to love the kids. Mm-hmm. And for, I don't know. So, Kirk, tell me what you think about this. I mean, I've got a pretty strong opinion about heaven and what it'll be like. But there are certain things I'm guessing at. And here's one of them. So tell I may be theologically off here. But I have this opinion that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a full head of hair. And probably I'm going to go with a 21-year-old body. But I'm going to have a four- or five-year-old mindset you know, naive and wild and free and exploratory and honest, but with this adult body. So that's my kind of view. So when Jesus says, I may, maybe I'm, am I wrong there? How off do you think I am on that? No, I actually think that's, that, that will, every, everything will be wonder to us, won't it? Absolutely. Everything will be a question. You know, it's like, well, God, what about this? Yes. What about this? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think that that is what I think a lot of us are looking for. I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know if I'll care about anything in heaven. You know, being in the presence of my Savior. But I think if I, if I, if we have time to sort of, for Him to teach us things, I would love for Him to, like, well, tell me about this. How did you, how did you create this? And then what I'd really like Him to do is if I could just have some time with Him. Um, I'd say, Jesus, can you show me how you got to me from Adam, beginning with Adam? And 
and what your plan was. Because I would love to see you connect all the dots that, you know, Kirk, before Adam was even there, I had a plan for you to be reached because I love you. You know, but like I said, I might not care at all. You know, I might not care, care at all. Um, But I, but I'm, I, I think about my wife and I in heaven. And I think about her and I standing side by side, never looking at each other, transfixed on Jesus's face and going, oh my gosh, we're here. He's there. We're with him. Finally, we're in his presence, you know, and and having sort of a fellowship, but a fellowship that is based on not us, but him. Yeah, I was just reading this morning in the Bible, Colossians 3.1, let us, in the, I can't remember the New Living Translation, but New American Standard, let us fix our eyes, keep our eyes fixed, set our minds on, you know, that whole concept. And, you know, Jeremiah 1.5 came to mind when you were speaking, you know, before you were even conceived, I knew you. Yeah. I mean, it's really... You know, yeah, you, I want to go back. I was thinking about something as we were talking about kids and and men. So right now, what has happened, what you brought up was the issue of now men can't be in our culture. We cannot trust children with men. Okay. What does it show the social scientists? What do they show if you take men out of children's lives? Our society is showing what happens when fathers are not there. What is the number one correlation with childhood poverty? It is not race. It is not income. It is whether there is a father in the home. Right? Right? So what, but what has the deceiver done? What has the deceiver done? Is he set up this grand deceit that all men are not to be trusted and that men aren't needed? Um, because we, as long as we have two mommies, we're fine. Um, but you know what? I can't be a mom. I can't be a mom. I, I, I actually don't. I haven't been created to be a mom. I have been created to be a father. Um, um, but a mom can also not be a father, right? Uh, and this whole thing that's going on right now um, of sexual identity and all the craziness is going on. I take it back to everything that God said in the beginning. Our society is saying, no, God, God created. No, um, God created man and woman. No, God created man and woman to be wife. No, right. Everything, the foundations of his creation and his plan. It's not good for man to be alone. I, I created someone so they would be complete. Nope, not necessary. So the fundamentals of God are being torn apart by, in a sense, the wisdom of earth. Well, because we've heard. <clears throat> well, and then you talked about Romans chapter one. It's, you know, God goes in there and says, hey, uh, I've, since creation of the world, I've made this known. And since they're rejecting me, I've given them over to their depraved mind. And this is what we see. And, uh, you know, we have a phrase, Kirk, that is this when a man gets it, Everyone wins, and we're. I, I want to be careful because I don't want to sound political because I, I I'm not a fan of politics, but I'll just call it intersectionality. This whole intersectionality mindset, some know it as critical theory or social justice, it is so it is completely antithetical to biblical Christianity. And until we start calling it out, like I was walking by and I said, "Here, here's my deal. Okay, you're flying your pride flag, but there's not a there's not a line in there for 
heterosexual nuclear couples in a monogamous lifelong relationship. So why is that not there? Well, because there's a deception going on, and and we have to call that out. And so you know our lane is men, but we need to when when we see Satan deceiving our culture, we have to step in in the name of Christology in the name of the kingdom of God and say something. So, but I won't get on my bandwagon here. <laughs> but I agree with you one hundred percent. So so you you know we as men. Man, we need to love the little children. We need to, I guess my thought is, okay, if society's telling me I shouldn't do it, that's probably telling me that I need to do it because historically the majority has usually been wrong and I'm always going to be surrounded by those who believe different than me. So I need to, instead of trying to swim downstream, drift downstream, only dead things drift downstream. I need to swim up river so this is good. I want to read this off your website here. On your website, you said, Jesus loves little children. In fact, he exhorts all of us to become like little children in our faith with clear eyes to see him and open hearts to follow him. Children are a blessing and is our mission to serve the Lord through the treatment of children with heart-related issues. Through the Bible, we read Jesus' healing power, how he laid hands on faith-filled individuals and made them well. And he is still doing that healing work today, both in the miraculous ways and through medical professionals committed to the healing and treatment of those in need. So now we're getting into your organizational name. For Hearts and Souls, which is the name of your organization, is just that, an organization dedicated to the treatment of hearts and the saving of souls for the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, Kirk, if I'm not mistaken, you are a retired... You're retired pediatrician, so you're not making money from pediatric cardiology. You're you're a, you're now a senior pastor. Am, are you volunteer in that role? No, I'm I'm a paid senior pastor. Okay, so you're paid there, but this hearts and souls. I, I'm trying to fill in the blanks. It sounds like this is a volunteer thing that you've done. Yeah. So my wife and I started a little over uh, about 22 years ago. Um, and uh, it it came about. Um, it, I wanted to do medical missions. Um, from when I was still in getting my PhD, I went with some um, medical students and residents down to just south of our border in in to Tijuana. Um, and I and I and I always really enjoyed children, even as a as a young sort of a young adult. Um, but I, when I was down there, I, and I thought I wouldn't like to take care of children because I loved them too much. That's an often thing. You love children too much. I can't be around sick children or those. Well, I found myself that I, I enjoyed being around the children down in Mexico much more so than the adults in terms of treating them. And I wrote myself a letter and I, or a little note, and I'm glad I did. And I read it many years later. And it said, never forget about the girl with the shoes. You know what? I had forgotten about the girl with the shoes. And I was 17 miles south of where I lived in San Diego, across the border. And there was a girl who was wearing two different shoes. And I thought, wow, I didn't choose to be born where I was. She didn't choose to be born where she was. But boy, 17 miles makes a big difference. And so I've often thought as my career, you know, I I went, I, I got my PhD, then I taught for a year, then I got my MD um, the Air Force paid my way through medical school. So then I went on to get my pediatric specialty, then went on to get my pediatric cardiology specialty. Then I had to, I owed seven years back to the Air Force. I did two tours in Iraq as a flight surgeon. Um, um, but all this time, um, when I went down to do my fellowship in San Diego for pediatric cardiology, I wanted to do mission work. And so I, by God's sovereignty, providence, 
um, my wife and I were going and served as the doctors to a uh, an orphanage that had 20 severely disabled kids. Um, and so we would go there once a month to take care of their seizures, their constipation, all these things, help the staff. Um, and so people heard that I was going down to Mexico uh, when I went down to Mexico. And so they said, hey, we uh, a clown who knew someone else in a clown ministry, who knew me, who knew about this girl down in past Ensenada, um, she had a heart problem. They said, would you go see her? So I took one of the first portable echo machines. And I went down there and she met us halfway. And her father was an immigrant farm worker in Mexico, which <laughs> you can imagine how poor they were. And when she was born, the doctor said, your daughter has a murmur and she will be dead by 10 if you don't get her heart surgery. So I saw her when she was nine and a half years old. And, and the father said, I have been laying my hands on my daughter every day, asking God to bring someone to bring healing to my daughter. So I find her at nine and a half years. Um, she has a pretty simple problem. Her valve that allows blood to go to her lungs from her heart is very stiff. So I go back up to where I was in, at UCSD in San Diego. And I said, hey, can we bring this girl up? I think it's going to be a one-day procedure. We can send her home the next day. Took a couple of months. We got it approved. We took her up there. It was so severe. It was so, oh my gosh, this was a scary valve. But she, we took her to the cardiac catheterization lab and put a balloon across, across the stiffened valve and just broke it open. And now this girl who couldn't run 50 feet went back home and could play normally. And I said, oh God, that was cool. The privilege of being able to be in a place where God is answering prayers. Uh, that that is, that is a privilege. Wow. Um, and so I said, God, could you, can we do some more of that? Because now <laughs> I realize that I don't just have to be a pediatrician. I can actually use my subspecialty to bring glory to, yes. to God. Yes. Right. Um, so I was like, wow, I didn't realize I could be a pediatric cardiology medical missionary. Um, and so I, um, and, and so then I kept looking it and we were able to help a few more kids. And then I went to Kim and I went to um, Kenya to serve at a mission hospital there. And it was July 4th of 2001. And I had just sent, um, this 11 year old boy home to die because he didn't get medicine for his sore throat when he should have and his strep infection turned into a rheumatic heart disease and now it was so bad there was nothing I could do for him and so we're having this big celebration of all the Americans who are in Kenya on July 4th and I'm walking down from the hospital to the area we're going to have this. And I said, God, if you're going to show me all these kids, you're going to have to help me be able to do something for them. And so that's where it started. Uh, and God saying, okay. And so 
I'm a pediatric cardiologist. I started I started going to Mongolia to help Samaritan's Purse and what they were doing there. And then I went to Kosovo and then I went to Sudan. And then I saw so many problems for kids in Mongolia that I decided that, you know, the Lord led me to screen the child, entire country for children to see if they had heart problems. So that took about... 13 years. I went, I've been to Mongolia 48 times. Um, after about five years, we brought a surgical team and then we started bringing surgical teams um, and cath lab teams um, to do things. And then we went to Kosovo and then we started working in, um, then I started after I got out of the air force, we started working in Iraq. So I've been to Iraq 39 times. Um and um, yeah, all of this is volunteer. All of this is most of everybody who goes is has volunteered their time off. They volunteered to buy their tickets. They've, you know, um, because um, it, it's it's one thing if someone pays your way to go on a mission trip. It's another thing if you you have skin in the game. Right? It the heart of the person, and sometimes we people have gone sort of, we sort of have sort of a quasi rule that once you paid your own way once, that if you need help the next time, we'll see if, if there's money to help. Right. But most of the time we say, remember, God's the one who makes all the gold and the silver. So you could ask me for help or what I really direct people to. And this is along the, what, what I've been really challenged with from George Mueller is why don't you walk with George Mueller? I mean, Kim and I, at one point we had a we had a orphanage in Zambia that we opened up for AIDS orphans. And over five years, $325,000 came in for that orphanage. And we never asked man for money once. We just asked God. So, um, yeah, so that that's what For Hearts and Souls is. But right now, I'm asking God right now. I find myself every day saying, God, do you still want me to be a pastor? Do you still want me to do pediatric cardiology? Do you still... I, I, I I love to worship God like this sometimes, but you know what? You know how I worship him now most of the time with my hands like this, because my attitude of worship for, for Jesus right now has to be God. I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender. Right? So God, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here on this earth. I, I travel so much. Uh, two days I'm going to Malawi uh, myself and two other of the elders were teaching 800 bush pastors. Um, and uh, we're going to spend a day and uh, a week talking to them about Christian integrity. Right? A whole week on that subject. I fly a lot. I go to some places that aren't, that aren't so safe. Right. Um, I don't know how, how much longer I have here. So since I don't know my future, I don't know my tomorrow. Who does? So, so I surrender it. I surrender it. Um, I ask God, so what do you want me to do? Well, teach on Wednesday. Right. <laughs> and then on Wednesday, after Wednesday, I teach, he goes, okay, teach on Sunday. Uh, but all these things that I, I realize that often what I've done is I've been prescribing to God how I want my life to look. Um, uh, you know, it's sort of like that funny joke about it. if God is your co-pilot, switch seats, you know, <laughs> You know, and I think that my encouragement to the men is that there's actually 
even though you might feel initially you're giving up your freedom, actually not. You're much more free if you let God be your shepherd and guide you. Then if you feel you have to shepherd yourself, your family, your children, say, God, I need your help. I surrender to you. I surrender to my life, my abilities, everything that I once held dear. I now count loss, as Paul said in Philippians. Um, uh, but, you know, doing pediatric heart work internationally, it, it's a pretty nice way to enter the gospel. So these children have a broken heart. Literally, there's no way that it can be repaired in these countries unless they have a free gift. And if it's repaired, then they have life. It's not hard to take that from a family who has a child and say, we all have a broken heart with sin. There's no way we can we can make ourselves at peace, at right with God, except the free gift of, of, of belief and the grace of Jesus Christ so we can have eternal life. So it's, a, it's this beautiful illustration that is easy to say because when I go to Iraq, they want to know, why'd you come? Um, we, ha we have this great story. It's one of my favorite stories out of Iraq. So we took care of this little baby with Down syndrome, which most um, poor countries just throw those kids away. Um, she had a big hole in her heart, but this, this city wasn't prepared. We weren't prepared to do all the repairs that were needed because of the infrastructure. And so we did a, a measure that would keep her safe and protect her lungs until that she can be completely repaired. And so we uh, were going to do that operation. And we went up and I always pray with these people, the families in Jesus name. And so I, so I went up and met with them. And as I walk up there and I have an interpreter with me and Kim is with me because she's a pediatric cardiac anesthesiologist. So we walk in there and the dad is there with, with sort of wet eyes holding his baby. this like six month old baby holding this baby. Mom is in a corner. She goes, I can't be a part of this. I can't hand my baby over for heart surgery. I can't do it. She's undone in the corner. And I explained to the man that, you know, there's a there's a word in the Quran, it's Isa, and it means Jesus. And I said, um, and so I was explaining all that to him. And I said, I, I, I want to pray. I would like to pray for this surgery that the great physician, Jesus, would help us take care of your daughter. And he starts crying. When I mentioned the name Jesus, he goes into uncontrollable sobbing, like overcome, overcome. And so it's time. The prayer is over. Um, take the baby from the dad, and we start walking to the elevator, and you hear this screech from the mother. Ah! And she runs to kiss her baby maybe one last time. So surgery went fine. I And... I see him back in six months. We still don't have the complete repair yet, but I see him back and he says, I've never forgotten about you telling me of the God who heals. Eventually, a couple more trips, that child is completely, has the heart completely repaired. And I hear from people that he showed up at the international church. That's all I hear. 
He just showed up at the Internown Church. He was asking about you. He was telling us about you. The next thing I saw was a picture of him in charge of Bible distribution in Iraq. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, what a privilege. What what I God has led us to to because we're coming and giving a free gift. People are often and when their their child has a heart problem, they're really open to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But oh, sometimes yeah. you don't have to prevent present very much of the gospel. You just have to cry, call out the name of Jesus. Wow. And and the Holy Spirit does the work. Wow. Yeah. That is so powerful. Yeah. So so Kirk, um, are these so you've done close to probably over a hundred different trips. Are these yeah. trips medical personnel only, or are these trips, do you ever have guys that have no skill like myself or Gary McCusker come with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, You know, what, what we say is that we're often very busy in the medicine, um, That, but we like people to come who are an abiding presence with the families while they're waiting. Because we might have a kid in the OR or in the ca cardiac catheterization lab for three or four hours. And sometimes these families sit all by themselves and you don't even have to know the language. You can just sit. And that's what God's reminded me of. He goes, I'm filled. I filled you with my Holy Spirit. Take that abiding presence and be in the presence of people who don't have that spirit. And, and someone who sits with them, even if they don't know the language or helps us be a runner. We need, we often need runners to Go get equipment. Go talk to this person. We need this person here now. Can you go to get this? We need those people. So yeah, they're people. We love for people to come. Plus, it's a pretty amazing thing because you get to be involved and in the you get the backstage pass to pediatric heart surgery, which you'll never get in the U.S. Yeah. Wow. So, so what if we have guys listening right now and they say, "Hey, we <clears throat> want to support this ministry." How, how can they do that? Yeah. So um, first thing I would always ask them to do is pray. Mm -hmm. Um, pray to, you know, my father has the cattle on, on a thousand hills. So I'd, I'd ask them to pray um, that God would give us wisdom, uh, that God would open doors, give us favor before men. We're going to be going, I'm going to Malawi on Wednesday. When I get back, I'll be here 10 days. And I'm going to Papua New Guinea first, and then going from there to Tanzania um, to do two different missions right in a row. Um, so that God would help us. Um, we have, I have Solomon like decisions to make on which child goes for surgery and which doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so need prayers. And then if they want to support us, they can, um, through for hearts and souls.org, you know, wow. That, that's su such a powerful ministry. We, we have no, we have no administrative real costs. So we yeah. have no building, we have no vehicles. Um, we don't have any salaried positions. So if they give to this, it's going to be directly involved in children um, who have heart issues. What's the average cost of a surgery? I, I know that's a broad spectrum, but if somebody's saying, hey, I'd like yeah. to save one life, you know, what, is there an average cost that you see? Yeah. yeah. So it probably, for our costs, just to bring over the stuff, it's usually a thousand. Uh, what would cost about eight eighty thousand dollars in in the Western world? We can do it for just about a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars in the um, world when we buy the 
the the packets and bring for the medicines and the packets and um, the heart lung machine. That packet we can only use once costs us about a thousand dollars. And then, uh, you know, so somewhere between a thousand and two thousand dollars, depending on what we're doing. Um, but if we try to bring them here, the bills will often be, you know, it could easily be eighty, a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. Um, and and but what we also do when we're there is we're always trying to teach the locals. So we don't we no longer go to Mongolia because they're doing it themselves. Um, so we've moved on. We don't need to do cath labs in Curtis Chirac anymore because Dr. Asso is doing that fine now. So we've okay. moved on. See, so, you're on your website. I thought you were completely immersed in Mongolia. So that might be a little bit dated. So you're oh, you're in Africa now more. That's that's part of the problem. See, we don't have <laughs> we don't we don't have anyone who's updating. No, I, I was I was just preparing the questions. I was like, tell me about Mongolia. So thank you for telling me ahead of time. Well, I'll tell you, we probably have guys right now listening and uh wanting to get involved somehow. So I appreciate that. It'd be really fun. And and when we were in Parker two weeks ago, Gary and I actually talked about partnering with you on some level. And yeah. I know he's bringing a team over to Maui from uh, Pepsi. So so you're in you're in Kihei, which is about, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes from Lahaina. H how yeah. involved are you in the fire there? What, what can you tell us? My wife uh, flies over there about once a week. And I know, yeah. has she reached out to you? She's been no. reaching out to somebody about doing something over there. So we're trying to figure something out. So yeah, just have her call me. Okay, I will. Have her call me. How, how, so tell us what's going on over there. So we're about two months since the fire. And we had a number of fires on here. It caused some trouble upcountry where we grow a lot of our vegetables and stuff. The farmers do. Um, it really concentrated on the old town of Lahaina. Um, about 2,200 buildings were destroyed. We really don't know how many people died. Um uh the um it's been very difficult because the people want to be back to their homes there are homes that weren't damaged that they can't get back to there are places where they don't have any homes at all now um uh, so what we're doing right now is we have a full-time food pantry at our church so we have um we we serve the people with who now don't have anything and so we serve them with food and then we've also now, with donations that have come in, we are now buying all the produce from the ump country farmers because when people said to stop coming to Maui, then all the produce the farmers were growing was going to waste. And so what we're now doing is we're buying all those farmers produce so we can give that to the displaced people and those who are impacted. Plus, we have a lot of people who they didn't lose a home. They didn't lose maybe somebody, but they no longer have a job now because people stopped coming to Maui. So it's all gone, right? And so all the, the wait staff, the dishwashers, the housekeepers, all those things went away. When all those things go away, then a whole bunch of people who are living day to day, who live on tips and everything else, that all goes away. So especially for the working poor, um, uh, that is... Um, that's really devastating. And we're just coming off COVID and three years ago, and we had the some of the toughest COVID restrictions that shut down the island. So we've gone through this before. So a lot of the people are just thinking, I can't do this again. I can't rebuild a, uh, my business again. I can't redo this again. So there's quite a bit of despair, um, which is a great time to bring in the gospel. Um, so we have, you know, we often 
have struggled to come up with man's ideas on how do we bring the gospel to this island. We prayed, we tried up with a whole bunch of sounded like good ideas, completely appearing, uh, apparently ineffective, right? <laughs> Didn't do anything. Oh, but they were good ideas. We sat around with all of our human wisdom, and but we were still praying for God, let us be, make an impact on this island. Um, and then COVID hit. And I have a free medical clinic that I run out of the church. It's a, 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 a um, it's approved by the U.S. government, and it's a um, uh, a mobile clinic. So I go to people's homes. So during COVID, I saw over seven hundred people with acute COVID, um, and and because of so many people were, so their income was destroyed. They were coming to our food pantry. So how did God answer our our desire to impact this community is he brought the people here that who would maybe entered a church and so in our waiting area which is our sanctuary while they wait we have scriptures going constantly on the tvs and worship music being played um and some people say i just can i just stay here by myself longer because i just like to be here well we've gotten used to that during covid and so then when the fires hit, we just like, okay, guys, seven days, a, seven days a week now. So, um, and people have been very generous. So we have a separate account for people who want to give for Lahaina fires or those who are impacted by Lahaina fires that doesn't have anything to do with our day-to-day expenses of the church. Um, so it's just going purely to those people. And what we're doing is we're asking the people who come in that maybe give us a call. We say, do you have any pressing needs? As it says in Titus 3.14, it's the church is supposed to reach out and meet those people with pressing needs. And so we've been asking that question to people. What pressing needs do you have? Sometimes it's a phone bill. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's so their children can go to preschool so they can work. Um, and then what we do is we have one of our elder staff meet with them, ask them about what's going on, tell us your story, and then um, see how we can help meet those pressing needs with all these donations that have come in. But most importantly, <clears throat> what do we have for them? Um, it, you know, it, it, what I, you know, that beautiful verse says, what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world but loses his soul? In in pediatric cardiology, I say, what if I completely compare, repair this child's heart, but they never hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and are eternally separated from God? What have I done? I, well, I might have done some good, but what have I done eternally? And I think the same thing when we have people coming to us with pressing needs, if I, t- if I alleviate their pressing needs without investing in a discussion of their eternity. What have I done? If I give them food, they're going to be hungry tomorrow. But if I give them the living water and the bread of life, they will never hunger again. So that's why we've done it, have our elders who um, are are comfortable having difficult discussions um, and then also just filled with the Holy Spirit that they're being guided on how much, you know, some people, they need $200. Other people need $10,000, right? All this money that's come in, it's not our money, right? And as elders of a church, none of the donations are our money. They're all 
okay, God, how would you have us use this? And how would you have us use this wisely with integrity? Um, but once again, God, God's ways are not our ways. And it's often in the desperation that you see God move in tremendous ways. And I see it when I go to the mission field to do pediatric heart surgeries. I see it when there's a pestilence upon the land like COVID. I see it now when fires have come and raged and killed and displaced. What do I have to offer them that really makes a difference? And that's the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, if we we can have the most altruistic organizations on the planet, but if you don't bring Jesus in, I don't understand the point of it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. So I appreciate that. Are you guys, are teams, are you receiving teams to your church or what could, if a team came over there, what would the team do? Do you have a job for them or they need to come with their own agenda? We have ways of uh, lots of different things. Um, we've had quite a few teams coming, helping the farmers up country. A lot of their greenhouses, when the winds came in, that started helps really fan the flames of the fires. A lot of the upcountry farmers got really, they was really damaged them. So we've been trying to help the upcountry farmers get back on their feet. Um, and so that's often a good place. Uh, what's what's struggling right now is we would love to bring in more teams to help rebuild, but right now there's a hold on on whether they let us rebuild or not. So, but this is a long process. And usually relief is one thing, and then develop is another thing. And people like to give to relief, but development is not as um exciting as relief work. Um, but we're going to be moving into development as soon as they open up the places for people to be able to rebuild. And that's, that's I think, when we're going to really need a lot more people. But right now, there's a lot of interest, but the government hasn't allowed people back to their their pieces of land um, to do the rebuilding. Well, will you let me know when they start the development process? Because I sure. have a platform where we can get guys that are skilled in that area I've got one guy who actually is already doing stuff with a development type of ministry, and it would be fun to uh, see you and to, to get some sweat yeah. sweat on the land. So, well, Kirk, I, I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to this episode, this interview for months. I'm so excited to reconnect with you, and uh, man, thank you so much. So, so give us uh, give us your church's website if they want to give to the Lahaina Fire Fund, yeah. and give us the the Hearts and Souls website if they want to somehow <clears throat> connect with you. Sure. So the church website is calvarymaui.org. So just calvarymaui.org. And then the website for the, the heart work that we do is called four, F-O-R, heartsandsouls.org. So those four words, four heartsandsouls.org. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Kirk, I've done a lot of interviews with some high-flying guys, and uh, this has been one of my most enjoyable ones. I may be virus, you know, go pirates, but uh, uh, sure appreciate you, man, what you're doing. I, I think that, you know, it's funny how you can do ministry. I've been in ministry 33 years now, and I've never thought of connecting. Gary's talked about you a lot, and I feel like maybe now there's, there's a convergence happening. So, uh, man, I appreciate all you do, man. God bless. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks so much, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege. Awesome. Hey, man, as you know, our man laws are mostly supplied by you. They're found in our book, Man Laws, 101 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. This man law is man law number 28. Contributor is Joshua Ellis, and he said this, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. The life rule is this, take pride 
in a job well done. Men, the end of the year is upon us already. As 2023 comes to a close, I want to ask you a question. Did you know that Men in the Arena is a crowd-funded, nonprofit 501c3 organization? 90% of our budgeted dollars come in from donors like you. And I want to be transparent. This has been a really hard year. This economy has really taken its toll upon us. And we are currently about one pay period away from me not getting paid. My other team will get my team will get paid, but I will I'm the first guy to fall in the spear and I'm just being honest with you out there. So, if you have a heart for this ministry, if you want to give to a great cause that you care about, I want to encourage you to go to our website at menarena.org and become either a monthly financial champion or hit us up with a large one-time gift at the end of the year. Trust me, my wife will thank you. Anyway, we are trusting God. God is good. But I just want to give you the need, and there is definitely a need right now. And so if you could help us out, we really would appreciate that. Hey, guys, if you like today's show, make sure you copy the link, share it with one of your bros, and get him involved in our podcast so you two can grow together as the men that God has called you to be. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.